0: Well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. It's going to be our key scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run With perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All of my life, I have been watching people get old. It's true. It's true. Everywhere I look, people are getting old. My parents have turned 81 this year. My mom is turning 81 this next month. And all of their friends have gotten old along with them. I realized this week, however, that I also am getting old. And uh, Thursday night, I was at my friend's house watching uh, that awful Warriors game, <laughs> which shall not be mentioned again, and I, and I went to stand up, and my hip, my left hip hurt so bad that I almost fell back onto the couch. But I got back up again, and I limped around for the next day and a half until miraculously, somehow, by the end of Friday night, my hip just stopped hurting. So uh, the next morning I got up and my hip was feeling okay and I was hanging out and doing things and then I went to a friend's house for dinner last night and then my left big toe started hurting. (laughs) Just out of the blue, like hurt bad to put any pressure on it. And so I started limping around on my bad big left toe until miraculously my left toe just stopped hurting again, and I could walk like a normal human being. You all know who are older than I am, what I am learning day by day, seemingly minute by minute, and that is this is going to keep happening to me. It's going to keep happening to me, and I've just decided that the left side of my body is defective. The right side is like holding up its end of the bargain. But the left side is in is outright revolt. I have watched as my parents have grown older and I've watched as they have struggled with health issues. I've watched as their friends around them have struggled with disease and health towards the end of their lives. I've watched as husbands have taken care of wives and wives have taken care of husbands. As children have taken care of parents. And... In the last year of my life, this particular verse has taken on a different meaning to me than it used to. To me, this verse that I read to you this morning, it used to be about overcoming sort of the sin and failure, which I think it is about that, but there's a new element to this now. And that is... A gift that we can pass on to those who are younger than us is what it means to persevere in faith. What it means to keep believing. What it means to say, in the face of adversity, in the face of pain, in the face of hurt, in the face of loss, that God is still God and I will not be discouraged. And I think as a father, that's something that I want to pass on to my children. Not just that God loves them, not just that God is calling them to a bigger and better life than they would have on their own, but that is they see me struggle with getting older, as they see us handle different kinds of of hardships and problems and struggles in our life, that Nisha and I show them what it means to continue to trust in God, to run the race with perseverance, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who has been there before us, and to say in all times, in all things, in all moments, whether my big toe is cooperating or not, that God is God. That He is here. And that He is with us. Amen. All right, it's time for our kids to go and back to children's church. <clears throat> uh, I know just from talking with several people this week that um, um, within our church, within our congregation, several people have, are out of town today in order to be with their, their fathers, which is really awesome. Uh, my children left town, <laughs> so I'm not sure what that says. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about, about me. Um, I, you know, I've, I, I shared with you a, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, my kids are, are, are getting older and Zeke is going to be turning 13 years old um, this month, actually, in just, in just a couple of weeks. And um, I, I, I was thinking this week as I was thinking about Father's Day, about how I viewed fatherhood 13 years ago versus how I see it now. And I, I I told you last week, you know when when you're a parent, um, a lot of times it feels like you're just guessing at what the right thing to do is. you know and and other times, and other times you're pretty sure you know what the right thing to do is. Um, when i was when Zeke was younger, and before Jed was born, uh things, you know, when they're at that age and when they're, you know, one, two, three, four years old, uh things were so easy t- to handle, it felt like. And to and there was some sort of like there was like a joy uh in in handling some of those things, sort of an excitement about about the things that I was gonna discover and and help him discover. And now he's gonna be 13. And now I'm like afraid of what he's going to discover and my role in helping him discover that. I I had a conversation with one of my 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 friends this week and I was telling him, you know, Zeke is turning thirteen. He's like, well have you had the talk with him yet? I know. <laughs> like, like, no. Like, can't someone else have the talk with him? Don Roberts. Don Roberts is gonna have the talk with Zeke. And then I'm put him in therapy immediately because it's going to, mentally, he may never recover. He may never recover from that. Um, but even now, um, even now, there are, there are two things that sort of weigh in my brain as I think about my two boys and about being their dad. And it's, do I, can I be the father that they want, or do I need to be the father that they need and are those two things different from one another? Sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. Uh, it's it's funny, because I, I take the kids to school, and I pick the kids up from school, and So I hang out with all the moms after school, (laughs) getting your kids. And there's some dads there too. But you see all different kinds of people who are doing all different kinds of things and dealing with all different kinds of situations. And sometimes, I know probably no one else ever does this, but I compare myself to these other people. And they talk about what they're doing with their kids or where their kids are going or what they're involved in or all these different things. And And sometimes I hear all of that and I think, well... Shoot, I haven't thought about putting my kids in a Japanese class. <laughs> Perhaps I should. <laughs> like, do they need to? Do they need to know this at this point in time? Like, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. And uh, it's 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 easy for me to feel uh, pressure to be a certain kind of thing. And to look a certain kind of way, and, and, and to and to act a certain kind of thing, and to offer certain kinds of things, and to fit whatever this mold is of what a dad today is like. And then there's the dad that my kids want, you know, the dad that gets them all the stuff, that takes them all the places, that always says yes to the can we play on our video games and iPads and phones and. All that junk that we do have. Apparently, I am that dad. And then there's those times where uh, I have to correct them and discipline and do these different things with them, and be, and I have to work, and I, and I can't always be there for certain things, and I struggle with all of these different looks, and I struggle with what it means to be these different things at these different times. And it can be hard to know how to walk the line between being the dad that they want and the dad they need. And as they get older, here's a question uh, that I'm having to consider more and more. As my kids get older, when do I let them fail? And when do I keep them from failing? It is a tough one, right? When are the the times that I need to keep something from happening or a mistake from happening? And when are the times that I need to let those mistakes happen so that they learn something? Well, this morning, we're going to talk about God as our Father. And it actually, this helps me understand a little bit, a little bit more and a little better, just some things that I should keep in mind as I try to be the best dad I can to my kids. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 12. We read verses 1 through 3 already this morning, uh, but we're going to be picking it up in verses 4 through 6. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. In your struggle against sin, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, this passage strikes me as a little bit funny. If you were here earlier this morning, and if you just look back up on the page to to verses one through three, those verses are so encouraging. Run the race with perseverance. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Throw off the things that are holding you back. It's this, you're, you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that is cheering you on, and it's so encouraging. And so we know, or we can infer from that passage, excuse me, we can infer from that passage that the people in the church there, they're going through some hard things. They're going through some things that are difficult. And so that opening line, that opening passage is so great because it reminds them, you know, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep going. Don't give up. But then I love this verse, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Hold on a second. <laughs> Like, you're telling me to keep going and not to give up, but now you're saying, but dude, you haven't bled over it. You haven't gone that far. And there's a strange note of indignation in these lines. You haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then, have you forgotten that the things that are going on in your life are actually encouraging things? To which I would want to answer... I don't know that I forgot that as much as I just didn't know that, that these difficult things are encouraging. And that's a lot to say to a group of people that you've just encouraged to not give up and keep running the race. Hey, man, you're not bleeding yet, and all this is supposed to be encouraging anyway. And there is a particular reason why I think um, why I think. These comments come at this time, and in order to understand why the writer says this, we have to look back further into chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn back to chapter 11, and we're going to be in verse 32. Now, within Hebrews chapter 11, the writer goes through and he talks about all these different people. And the way that they were faithful and strong through all different kinds of things. But listen to this verse right here, because this one, this passage is a good one. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, Quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Okay. Okay. Have you ever seen two such opposite ends of the spectrum in one Bible passage? I dare you to show it to me. Because at the beginning of this passage, what are people doing? Conquering kingdoms, uh, shutting the mouths of lions, quenching the fury of the flames, escaping the sword, routing foreign armies. Oh, and then there were other people who were tortured And cut in half. (laughs) Like the sawed in two line gets me every time. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins. They were homeless. They lived in holes in the ground. And all of these people, whether they were the conquerors or whether they were conquered, they all had the same thing in common. They all believed and trusted in God. They all looked forward to what it was that God had promised them because, he says there at the end, these were all committed for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So even the ones that were victorious in such amazing ways still had to wait for what it was that God was promising them. And so knowing that and seeing these verses actually kind of helps put verses uh, four through six into a little bit better perspective. And in some ways, it helps me understand why the writer got to this what are you crying about moment. Like keep going, don't give up, run with perseverance, but... It's not as bad for you as it has been for others. There is a distinct message throughout chapter 11. And the distinct message, which we may or may not like, is this. Life for those who follow God is not easy. Life for those who follow God is not easy. Even those who were victorious had to have faith and go through difficult times to be victorious. And not everyone got to experience the mountaintop, okay? People who had faith in God died with, without reaching the top of the mountain. And in fact, everyone had to wait on God in some way or another and still is until God brings us all together, and it's these people that are cheering you on, these people that have, given, that have gone through all of these things. And what made these people so extraordinary is that all of them kept their faith in God even though following God was hard and even though following God might have been part of their problem, might have been the reason they were being persecuted, might have been the reason why they had enemies might have been the reason that their lives were at risk. Their faith in God was putting them in that position. But they kept their faith, even though they were facing the end of their lives. And so he speaks to this community, these people that are having hard times, and he says to them, things are not as bad as they could be. Can we just like make a quick, okay, everybody, reach into your invisible pocket. And pull out your invisible mirror and look into your invisible mirror. I only saw a few of you do it. It's invisible. It's make-believe. When we are going through something hard, don't we often think this is the hardest thing that anyone has ever had to deal with in their faith? (laughs) Right? Like, don't we often... Don't we often when when we are struggling and, and difficult and hard things are going on around us or in our lives, don't we tend to just wallow in how hard it is? Now let me say something because I think this is important. It's okay that it's hard. And it's okay that you feel like it's difficult, that it's a challenge. Just because other people are or have gone through worse things, it doesn't mean that what you're going through doesn't matter because it does. And however hard something is for us, it is that hard. But sometimes we need a reminder that following God and being a person of faith is not going to smooth out the road in front of us. That things are going to be difficult. That we are still going to face opposition. In fact, when we look back on the opening verses of this chapter, we find something interesting. That Jesus' path was not smooth either. From, again, twelve one through three, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Doesn't it say something to us, or it should say something to us, that when things feel hard and we feel like, why is this happening to me? That the son of God himself, when he lived on this earth, had a really rough time. The dude was homeless. He had, people hated him everywhere he went as much as people loved him. And he was unfairly put on trial and killed for things that he he hadn't even done And we see in this passage, it's a call for them to endure in the face of things that would hold them back from God. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. But the example that is used, this example of Jesus, tells us Jesus himself had to face some really awful things when he was here on earth, and he did all of those things with a word that does not fit into the sentence. He did all those things with joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How is it that Jesus was able to face all the things that he faced, which were pretty gnarly, pretty bad? How is it that he was able to face all those things with joy, with joy? It's because he knew what the end result of these things was going to be, Therefore, his pain and suffering paled in comparison to what God was accomplishing through him. So this community is going through something, but it is not as bad as it could be, and even Jesus had to go through difficulty in his following of God. But at times, there is more going on than just having to endure the things that would hold us back from God. Because sometimes God chooses to discipline us. And we see that again in those verses, which, is, which are actually a, a quotation from the Proverbs. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So at times there's more going on in our lives than just Satan's attacks or those who are enemies of God trying to keep us from God. And to help us flesh out what this word discipline means, there are two words that are thrown in there which I don't particularly like. Um, Those two words are uh, rebuke and chasten, which tells us that sometimes the difficult things that happen in our lives happen for a particular reason. God is trying to correct something about us. And just for kicks and giggles, that word chasten can also be uh, translated as whipping or scourging, which means that sometimes God's correction is what? Painful and perhaps bloody. Now, before we get too far down the road, we have to ask ourselves a question, all right, so what does this mean? This discipline, this rebuking, this chastening um, is something that God does to us, and it can be a painful experience. And that's where we're we're already a little bit off line, because what did I just say? It's something that God does to us, okay? and And we do wonder you know, why things have to be so hard. Okay, well, if someone needs to be corrected, what does that mean happened before that correction? It means they did something wrong. You, you, You don't have to be corrected if you did something right in the first place. How dare you do something right and good? Right? It doesn't work that way. The reason why we correct or rebuke or change is because something went wrong and you don't want it to go wrong again, right? How many of you have ever turned down a one-way street in the wrong direction? And you're already on it before you realize it's the wrong direction. And you have a choice, right? Do you keep going to the next block and like try to, or do you just turn around right there? Do you just turn your car off in the middle of the road and just cry? Like what is it, what are you going to do? How do you handle this situation, right? If you go the wrong way, there has to be a correction, true? Yeah, because if you just keep driving the wrong direction on the one-way street, you are going to come into conflict, (laughs) With other cars or police officers with these like strips that blow out your tires and like these all this crazy stuff. We want to avoid that. So, what does the discipline of God then look like? Now, here's where we do need to exercise a little bit of caution, okay? Um, and, And here's what I mean. Here's where I want us to exercise caution. I personally, and you can disagree with me on this. Uh, But we're going to arm wrestle to settle it, and you're all going to lose. So, I personally believe that God does not give us cancer or take children away from us or have loved ones die or do any of these things that cause unbearable pain in our lives to teach us a lesson. I don't believe in that. And... That is not what's being discussed here in Hebrews chapter 12. And if we tell people who are going through something awful that God wants to teach them something, then we are often doing more harm than good. And there is a difference, there is a difference between learning something through discipline and learning something through redemption. Where God takes something awful And doesn't take it away, but redeems it so that we have something beautiful from it later. For example, I don't think God gave me depression and anxiety so I could later talk to people about depression and anxiety. Like, I don't think that's why I carry that. But the redemption that God has done in my life with my depression and anxiety is he has allowed me to speak to people who have no voice about it and need someone to say it's okay and God loves you. There, do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between? It's important for us to understand the difference between those things because the difference is there. So does God then bring some sort of difficulty to test us? Well, I think the implication throughout the Bible is yes. There are situations that sometimes are a test. We just have to be careful about what we attribute to God and when we attribute it. Um, maybe God brought the test. Maybe he is teaching us, though, about what we've done, that something before this, or or maybe he's cleaning up after us <laughs> with whatever is going on. The thing The thing that we can't ignore is that as children of God, we know this to be true, okay? And so this is an underlying thing about us that applies to this conversation. We often choose to do things our own way instead of the way that God has called us to do them. We often choose to do things our own way instead of the way that God has called us to do them. And sometimes there are things we need to learn the hard way. There are things we do where God will not simply take away the consequences of our actions as if it never happened. And this is not a unique occurrence. Um, Some of the people that, that were talked about in chapter 11, for example, Abraham, who is praised in chapter 11 as being a man of faith Abraham had to be rebuked and chastened more than once. Why? Well, I don't know. There was that time where he gave his wife away to Pharaoh so he wouldn't get in trouble. And God was like, you dummy. (laughs) Why, Why did you do that? That's your wife. It doesn't even, I wish we had a recording of the conversation between Abram and Sarai, I really do. I wish we had that conversation that they had when he brings, oops, honey, I'm really sorry. Uh Uh-huh, right, thank you, thank you for that, you know. Uh, And there's also the time where even though God has has promised him that, you know, he and, and Sarai are gonna have these children, they take matters into their own hands again and try to do things their own way. And the lesson that, Abraham learns through all these things. Like he is, He challenges God. He does things his own way. God sometimes cleans up for him. God sometimes says, you dummy. God sometimes, you know. But he brings him back around and tells him where he's wrong and points it out. And the thing that Abraham learns, the place he ends up, is that he understands he can really trust God and that God knows what he's doing better than Abraham knows what he's doing. God has to correct us when we get away from the path that he would like for us to take. Why? Now, this is important. Why does God have to correct us when we get away from the path that he has laid out for us? And it's for one just very, very, very simple reason. God corrects us because he loves us. He corrects us because he loves us. Uh, A lot of you have probably heard um, this quote from Eli Weitzel, but he says, The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. So let's look at that idea within this context. If God saw us walking down the wrong path, and he did nothing to try to correct us or turn us around or rebuke us, he would not be showing his love. Instead, what would he be showing? Indifference, which is what? Do what you want. Go ahead. I don't care. So God can't be the God who loves his children if he just lets his children go do whatever they want and never tries to turn them to the way that he knows they should go. That's indifference. Go ahead. Do what you want. But here's the second thing. Can you imagine what kind of father God would be if he simply fixed everything for us as we keep making the wrong decisions? And furthermore, what kind of people would we be if God went ahead of us and fixed all of our mistakes and we never had to deal with the fallout from anything? (laughs) We don't often think about it in those terms. But this is sometimes how we view God. And in that case, God would be the Father we want, the one who fixes everything for us, but He wouldn't be the Father we need, the God who makes us into something better and turns us from our mistakes. There would be, furthermore, no incentive for us to follow him or become more like Jesus if God simply made everything okay every time we dug ourselves into a hole. Why would we have to try to be better if God just made everything better? We would not learn to be more like Jesus if we were never forced to confront and deal with our failures. And sometimes, this whole conversation about, well, how can God and why would God and how could this and how could that, we are guilty of defining how well the Father loves us based on what we think we want or need at the time. And in our sometimes narrow and very self-centered definition of love, discipline seems like something we shouldn't have to go through. After all, none of us want it. How many of you really enjoy being told you did something wrong. Discipline doesn't always feel like love. But that doesn't mean it isn't love. In fact, the writer says, the fact that God bothers... Think about this for a second, because this is pretty mind-blowing right here. The fact that the creator of the universe cares about what you do enough to try to make sure you don't do that again shows how much he loves you. So here's what he says to us here, starting in verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline... No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay. He makes an important comparison here, and it's actually one that Jesus has made previously. Okay, and he says, you've had parents, they've disciplined you, and though you didn't like it at the time, hopefully what do you see now as an adult? That whatever it is you had to face... You faced it, and now you're better for it. You're better for having learned that lesson. You're better for having experienced that discipline. And he says, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. So he's saying, look, they did this. You can see it's good, so can't you allow God the same thing? Jesus puts it in a much different way, but I love the way he puts it in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I love what Jesus says here because he's like, Hey, do you know the difference between a good gift and a bad gift? Yes. Do you know the difference between giving uh, your child uh, a fish or a snake? Yes, I know the difference. Okay, then don't you think God can figure that out too? Don't you think? Don't you think God has got this under control? And it's very similar to what we see. It's that, look, if you can look back and say, you know, my dad disciplined me and it was for the good and I'm glad I learned that lesson, then you can't treat God any differently Because God is way smarter in his discipline than your dad was or than you're going to be. God lets us go through the things that we do because he loves us, but moreover, he disciplines us because he is treating us as his children. And and this is a point the writer of Hebrews here wants to make. The discipline makes you legitimate. It's what makes you legit. Because, again, if God doesn't discipline you, if he just lets you go, then what does that say about him? Well, he's then not really your loving father and, and you're not really his child. So when he disciplines us, he is treating us as his children, his real children. I mean, most of the time, I don't discipline children that aren't mine. I, mean, I don't approach parents in the grocery store. <laughs> Excuse me, can I beat your child? <laughs> everyone's thinking it everyone in the room's thinking it I'm just asking you if it's okay <clears throat> we don't do that instead it's only those that he loves and that belong to him that he bothers to discipline and correct and the fact that God disciplines us shows that we are really his children and that he really loves us so God lets us go through the things that we do without fixing them or he corrects us for several different reasons I think. Um, number one, it's because he wants us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Um, and we are not the best version of ourselves if all the adversity in our life is wiped away. If everything is easy and everything is free, you don't ever have to make a hard choice. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share, he says, in his holiness. So his discipline actually helps us make different choices, and those different choices are to be more like God and more like Jesus, and they lead us to that place. How does it it help us do that? Well, God's discipline helps us to recognize where we went wrong and how we should do things differently the next time around. I think God's discipline also challenges us to redeem things in the fallout. And what I mean by that is When we find ourselves in this place where we're learning what we did wrong, we ask for forgiveness, or we extend forgiveness. Uh, we, We act like God in this moment instead of being like ourselves. And when things are falling apart and in conflict and hurting and hard, it's not always our first instinct to be loving like God is. Um. There are times we can only learn to be like Jesus through the adversity that we face. And there are times where we can only learn to be, become better disciples of Jesus when we're actually forced to make a choice between him and something else. Um, God lets us go through the things that we do because it makes us stronger. Being like Jesus is not easy. And it's not easy on good days. It's even more difficult when we're facing challenges. Um, and there's a really interesting parallel here that I love. When you go to the gym and work out and you're going to lift weights, some of you already know all this, but you put your body through a process. And when you lift weights and you're doing, you know, whatever it is with your muscles, you are actually tearing your muscles. You're, you're doing, there's these microscopic tears that you are putting in your muscle all as you do these, these workouts. And then you're sore, right, afterwards or the next day. And you're sore until that muscle and all those tears rebuilds new muscle on top of all of that. So literally, literally, in order for your body to get stronger, it has to have all these little rips and these little tears and these little things that then heal and become stronger on top of it. And then you know what you do? You rip it all again and build more and build more. But it's not like when you go to work out and you go to gain more muscle, it just piles on top of what's already there. You are breaking something down and building it back up again. And when we face spiritual challenges and fight through them, we grow stronger. We make better decisions based on what we've been through and what we learned. The places that are broken down become places of strength and endurance where we have something to offer uh, the community around us. Uh, God's discipline leads us to a place where we experience more righteousness and peace. And we've talked about this in our values. We never stop growing and becoming. There is always new ground for us to cover in our relationships with Jesus. And after we have been disciplined or we've gone through these things and we have stood strong and we have found God to be faithful, when we understand why we experience these things in the first place, then I love the fact that the writer says, we experience peace. We experience peace because we've learned something. We've gained the experience. We have a different perspective than we had before. But peace, knowing that God is good and faithful, knowing he is our father and we are his children, knowing that he loves us and disciplines us and still, church, offers us the grace for the things that we, we can't overcome on our own, when we are on the other side of those things there is this element of God is building me up and he still loves me as I am. God is not leaving me alone to flail and fail. But he knows where I need to be picked up. It's amazing what God offers to us. And I think one of the reasons we have peace on the other side of some of these things that we faced is when we look back, we realize that when we were in the middle of those things, we didn't get the God we wanted. But we got the God we needed. And then we realized, you know what, the God I needed is the God that I now want. And I should have won it all along. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Do your part. Grow. Face the challenges. Go back to the beginning of the chapter. Throw off the things that hinder and entangle you. So as a dad, what do I take from this? And it's this. I want to be the kind of father to my kids that God is to me. I want to be open about with them about what I am learning about myself and how God is correcting me. I want them to know that. If I want to be open to God's discipline and if I want them to be open to God's discipline in their lives, then I need to show humility before God in my life. And I need to share that with them. This is what I did wrong. This is how I learned <laughs> that it was wrong. This is what I'm going to do to try to not make that mistake again. And this is how God loves me. My, my boys need to hear that from me. Number two, I can't fix everything for them, but I need to pray for wisdom so that I can know how and what to do. My kids need to be able to see my love for them in the middle of discipline, even though it may not feel like love to them. But I need to be deeply invested in helping them learn and improve. And lastly, and this is an important one, I need to empower my kids to overcome their mistakes. I never learned how to make a mistake growing up. We didn't make mistakes. We did things right. And I want my kids to know how to make a mistake. How to fail at something and get back up again. How to do something, not how to do something wrong. They don't need help with that. (laughs) But how to handle the doing and what you do afterwards. I want to be the father that my boys need. And I hope that someday they look back and say, You're the Father we want. But all of that comes from one place. It doesn't come from me. It comes from God, the Father, who has shown us that he loves us enough. (laughs) He loves us enough to get in there and to help us be better people and to offer us grace when there's nothing we can do to love us, not just for who we are, but for who we can become, and to see that in us, that we can be more through him. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from your word. God, I pray that they are encouraging to us this morning. And may we accept God, the discipline that you give to us, may we know that you love us in all things. May we learn from the mistakes that we make. And we're grateful for your grace that covers over all of our sin and all of our failure, but we're grateful, God, that it doesn't just stop there, that you then encourage us to be more. Thank you for being the kind of father that you are. And may we be more like you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, um, God loves you deeply and wants to have a relationship with you. And uh, We invite you to come forward if you have any needs this morning. Please stand.